Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome, everyone, to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things. And if you want to grow abundantly, my name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Continuing the Storybox two-year anniversary, I have another incredible human being on the show. Her name is Annie Gonzalez. Now, Annie is a proud Chicanan actress, singer, and dancer, and East Los Angeles native. And for over a decade, Annie has brought her charisma, beauty, comedic timing, and strong dramatic performances to projects that continue to cement her as one of Hollywood's leading uh, new leading talents. I don't think she'll be new for very much longer because she is an incredible human being. Uh, Growing up in East Los Angeles, Annie began her career in entertainment at age 10 when she became one of the original dancers on Jam X Kids for Warner Brothers and she hasn't stopped since. Annie has landed roles in popular TV series such as Showtime's Shameless, uh, FX, American Horror Story, Amazon Good Girls and stars Vita. In 2020, Annie landed the role of Lydia on Netflix's hit show, Hentified, uh, based on the digital series of the same title, Hentified centers on three cousins who band together to keep their grandfather's popular Boyle Heights taco shop in business as the neighborhood becomes more gentrified. Throughout the show's first season, the cousins confront the differences in their connections to their community, their heritage, and their commitment to the family business, all while navigating larger themes of uh, gentrification and marginalization of Latinx community in America. Uh, Annie, like I was saying, is a really kind, sweet, humble, and funny human being. I really, really enjoy this conversation and I know that you guys are going to love Annie, her enthusiasm. I highly encourage you to watch the actual video over on YouTube. Uh, it's great. <laughs> so my friends, if you do get something from this conversation and I know you guys are going to really connect and love Annie's energy and her stories as well, then please share this one around to your friends and your family. Let everyone know about this one. Also, my friends, if you can, please subscribe and leave a rating and review over an Apple podcast goes a huge way in helping to support the show even more. But my friends, you know what time it is. Once again, it is time to celebrate the two-year anniversary of the Storybox as we journey into the Storybox today and listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the story 
of none other than my friend and the incredible human being, Annie Gonzalez. Ah, oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me here. I'm, I'm so excited to be able to talk to you. I'm excited to have you here and I apologize in advance if I butchered the chicken. Chick, yeah, I can't say it now. <laughs> you can say what? I'm going to teach you. It's super teach easy, me. okay? Go All for right. it. Chicana. Chicana. There it is. You know what? It got twisted on my tongue, but you helped me out there. Appreciate it. <laughs> right here. Right, right from the heart. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Annie, you know, when, when I found out that uh, I would be able to interview you and unbox your story today, I was very, very excited. The very first question that I do want to ask you, you've listened to my podcast, you kind of already know what's coming. So you've had a little bit of time to prepare. Uh, but what does success look like for you? Do you know that's one of my favorite questions? Cause I always just like throw people off with my answer. Um, <laughs> so I've been in this industry now since I was about nine years old. It's almost 20 years we're coming up on. And I've learned with the highs and lows just in life in general. I my one of my main goals is to never assign a value to any feeling, meaning it's not good, it's not bad, it just is. So success for me something that I realized I needed to define a while ago as I started trying to climb this industry ladder, if you will, looks like getting a call from my little cousin to tell me she loves me and misses me. Mm -hmm. Seeing a big bowl of fruit on my kitchen table, mm -hmm. waking up in the morning and having the cup of coffee exactly the way that I like to make it. I, I read something in a book a long time ago that says, if you romanticize your life, you'll never fall out of love with it. Mm. So regardless of if I'm booked all year or if I haven't worked for five years, that's not who I am. It doesn't define me. Yeah. And neither does my cup of coffee or the bowl of fruit, but it is, they're just little things. I'm like, this is small ways that I can say, I'm doing all right. I'm happy. I'm here. I'm healthy. Mm. Is that... The small things you often look at that you're grateful for that make a huge difference in your life. And I love that version of success because I have a very similar understanding and appreciation in my own life. I mean, I'm not like, yes, I get to speak to some amazing people, but I look at them from the fact of their story matters just as much as someone else's story matters as well, you know? So that's, that's really the key. Like I'm grateful for you and your story and, and your wisdom that you just poured out right there, which I know is going to help so many people. But one thing that I want uh, to ask you now is have you always had that understanding of success for your life? Or was there more of a catalyst moment somewhere? Of course not. <laughs> I was over here like, give me the money, give me the fame. I want it all. You ain't, you suck if you don't have it. Like, oh, are you kidding me? I went through a lot of loss. I went through a lot of pain, a lot of um, imposter syndrome, all of it to, to come here and have this new insight onto life, onto my life specifically. You know, I just, I, I struggled um, really heavily with it depression and anxiety and suicidal ide ideologies. And, and it was around 25, 24, mid twenties, where I was like, 
this is not healthy anymore. Like my highs are so, so high and my lows are like burning, crashing. Like, why am I here type of questions? I need to figure something out. And it wasn't until I went to therapy and really checked in with what made me happy. Not what I thought was going to make me happy because it was during a time where I was booking a lot. I had a boyfriend that I was living with. I had money. Oh, did that go away? (laughs) it's all good you're back okay we're back I had money in my bank account I had all these things and and yet and still I'm like why do I hate my life Mm -hmm. and it's because I was looking to these things to give me peace and happiness and joy and not you know it's this thing that we're told but not really it's not really implemented into western society Mm -hmm. like a lot of our accolades is what makes us important to the you know media general view of the world but the second i took the importance off of that and was like no i'm i'm awesome i'm nice i'm kind and that's just as much as a gift as being here's ten dollars here's you know i'm taking you out to lunch like we discredit all these people in our life that are able to hold space for us and that's very much the type of person that i am so i had to learn how to assign more value to that than all the other monetary things it's interesting that you say that society has kind of conditioned all of us from a very young age that if you don't achieve a certain amount, then you're somehow not worth anything. And it's those stories that we often believe that make a huge difference. They like they wear us down to the point where, like you were saying, you ended up getting depressed and anxious. And because I felt the exact same way. And like I'm 25 at the moment. But I felt all that when I was 23 um, and 24. So it's not that long ago now, but it's, it's always interested me why that is the case. Have you, have you looked into and really asked yourself why that is the case? Yeah, well, the, what I have found, you know, I've been doing a lot of like ancestral healing and talking to my mom and seeing how she was raised and talking to my grandma and seeing how she was raised and just, you know, doing a lot of like, you you don't know where you're going until you know where you came from. And a lot of the time we want to chastise our parents for instilling us with these things when it's, it was just a fraternity style of parenting. Mm. And Within that, I even look at like America, right? Like that's right. This is where I'm at. It's like, it's a fraternity style of like, you work hard, you figure it out. Like, it's like, stress yourself out to the bone. You'll be successful. But what success is that? And at a young age, I was, oh, I, I wasn't, um, I wasn't like a tough kid like that. Like I wasn't like a fighter. I was always very sensitive. I was always friends with, you know, the underdog or the person that didn't have too many friends. I would talk to the adults. I, I didn't like being mean as a means of protection. Like I wore my heart on my sleeve. That's probably why I'm an actress and do what I do. Right. And it wasn't until I learned that that was a superpower that in my Thea was telling me this recently, she said, uh, back in, you know, like the days of now what, before we got colonized, there were a group of people who would 
seek out certain children and they would say, oh, they have this special gift, whether albeit like a shamanistic, a healer type of gift, and they would foster that. Now, when we see a, a child who may have a little bit more emotional awareness and maturity and sensitivity immediately, we try and stop crying. You need to learn how to control that. Let's figure this out. Let's put this into a box. This isn't working for us. How can you have all these feelings? I'm an adult. I've got right. But I always held on to that. Even as a kid, I was like, no, I know I'm special. I don't know how to use it yet, but I know what I have is special and I'm going to figure it out. And then I saw that my mom had that, <laughs> but no one told her how to use it. No. My grandma had that. She never had the language. So now I sit around with my mom and my grandma and we have really heavy beautiful healing conversations where you say all the things that you're not supposed to, but you, but you feel them. Why aren't you supposed to, why are this, why is this a bad feeling? Talk about it all the time. We've been trying to undo a lot of these things in my familial space and hopefully it'll pour out into other spaces of the world. Mm. I was very much like you, the empathetic sort of person. And I, I don't shy away from that now. I embrace it. And I think it's important that you embrace that side of who you really are. And I like how you said, you don't know where you're going until you know where you came from. I love that. <laughs> so speaking about where you did come from, whereabouts, uh, how did you grow up? Was it an easy upbringing? Tell me how, how you grew up. There was a lot of love in my household, a lot of love. Sometimes, um, misplaced anxiety and anger as well. There was just a lot. I was always very heightened. Um, I feel like everybody did their best with the tools that they had. I didn't grow up with my dad in the household. My mom grew up in an abusive household and she grew up with a lot of resentment, pain and shame. So those are difficult lenses to look out of when you're trying to create love for your child. You know, it's again, it becomes that fraternity mentality. But so much love. And also at a young age, had a lot of loss. My mom is the youngest of three girls and her two older sisters passed away from um, breast cancer. Uh. So imagine being the baby of the family, your big sisters who were almost like my mom's growing up because they, they had a very big hand in raising me. Um, one passed when I was 16 and the other when I was 18. And it feels, it barely feels like now, almost 10 years later, um, after both of them that we are finding healing and understanding and love and creating what this version of our family looks like, mm. but a lot of strength, a lot of survival growing up. I, I, I had a beautiful childhood for the type of person that I was meant to be. Yeah. And did you always want to become an actress to do the, the kind of role that you're doing at the moment? <laughs> My whole life, my mom loves to tell this story. Ever since I was a little girl, I've always known what I wanted to do. So I'm sixth generation American. You ever heard that phrase? The border didn't cross the, we didn't cross the border. The border crossed us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Legit. That's my family. Like sixth generation here, born and raised in East LA. So I didn't grow up with the concept of like, I can't make it because I'm a brown woman. And like, I didn't even understand what that was. So, and I was never fed that. Um, so I grew up watching people like Barbara Streisand and Bette Midler and being like, that's me right there. Jane Fonda, like, what's up, girl? That's my Thea. Like, I could do that. Like, they're doing it. They look like me. I didn't understand that concept. Yeah. So I, my whole life, I, my mom would come in and sit on my first grade class because the teacher would say that I would daydream a lot. 
mm -hmm. came in one day and I guess I didn't know she was there and I'm sitting and I'm, I'm daydreaming. I'd like to call it early manifesting and <laughs> Love it. I would sit in class, not paying attention. She'd come up to me. She's like, Annie, what are you doing? Why? Like, what do you think? And I'm like daydreaming what I'm going to be when I get older. And she's like, well, what's that? One day when I'm a famous movie star, singer, actress, dancer. And she's like, okay, cabrona, well, movie stars need to learn how to read. Get your ass in them books. That was wow, the mom Latina I had. mothers. I, I, love her for it. Oh, I love Latina mothers. <laughs> right? They're, they're so charismatic. <laughs> My they mom is especially a character. <laughs> I can imagine already. Uh, I, I dated two Latinas in the past, and I know, I know what you mean by that. My goodness. <laughs> so there, there's, you know. We yes. got time. Everybody thinks we ain't going to do it right. We got to do it right. And twice as good, twice as fast. Let's go. Like yep. <laughs> yeah. It's bringing up a lot of uh, memories for me, <laughs> like looking at that, but for you, Annie, uh, understanding who you really were and, and your identity and, and navigating through that in the kind of culture environment that you were in, how did you go about navigating through that? So you knew who you were and you were able to sort of, I guess, for lack of a better term, break in to this uh, industry? So how did I use who I knew who I was to break into the industry? How did you find more or less who you were first and foremost? How did you find your identity? And how did that help you knowing who you really were? How did that help you navigate through the kind of cultural indifferences and imbalances of this Hollywood industry. It's very difficult to sort of break into. Did you find that was the case for you? If that question makes sense? No, I hear you. I'm I'm trying to think about cuz some things I think you know, ignorance is bliss. I think because I didn't grow up with thinking that I had to face adversity, I almost didn't in certain I mean, maybe I'm sure I did, but I was like, no you're not going to put this in my way and I'm not going to see this as a block. How dare you? That's not, if there's going to be a block, that's not going to be it. I will get in my own way. You're not going to tell me because of my skin color, because of my gender, because of my ethnic background, I'm not just as good, just as capable, just as smart, just as entertaining, just as well-rounded as any other person out here. Yeah. And I know, and I, and I understand that that may even be a sense of that's a, there's a lot of privilege within that statement that I have made right now. I completely acknowledge and embody that. And I say this in every interview or anybody that asks that type of question. I know that that's a privilege to not have been, um, to not have had that in my subconscious experience throughout my life. You know, I think a lot of it is like, you tell, tell me where you're from. Tell me who your family is. Tell me the type of environment you grew up in. I can tell you pretty much how you'll think. Now, if they tell you my background, it'll make sense. My grandparents got hit in high school if they spoke Spanish. I wasn't raised speaking Spanish. I'm raised very American. I have Eurocentric features. I know even that's a privilege, you know? So I, I hope to use some of the reach that I have and the reach that I'll continue to obtain in the near future to help elevate voices that have the marginalized voices and I you and every day though okay, the way I learn to use what I have or even am trying to understand what it is because I think some things come up all the time where I'm like oh oh I am 
this is a little more difficult because X, Y, Z, when I was so oblivious to it, I'm learning to stay curious and not judgmental the way that I hope people will stay when they look at me. Yeah. I think that's very important. The, the non-judgmental attitude that somehow gets really missed (laughs) for in society. It just, it's always amazed me how we, we look at people and we judge them from the outward appearance and we never oftentimes the first reaction is obviously the outward, but we never go further. We never ask them any deep and meaningful questions, which is at the core, that's the the essence of a being human being. I really believe. So I want to, I want to go deeper and un- unbox your, your essence a little bit more. And you mentioned that you earlier, you mentioned that you did go through uh, depression and all some very difficult times. I would like to ask you, would you be comfortable with sharing some of those stories for us and what you learned as a result of going through those experiences? Yeah. Um, There was a specific moment. um, So during that time that I had spoke about where like everything was dandy and I should be happy and all of this, um, I had realized I'd felt so much resentment for towards my parents towards. And, and again, I wasn't curious. I was judgmental and I went into therapy and I didn't realize something that came that she brought to my attention was I was talking to her about health. Like what's healthy, right? Like, you know, you think you do the right thing. You see, you know, you try and be kind, you try and lead with love. I'm, I'm giving my mom, my dad, whoever, whatever this, you know, this, this person, this entity, cause that's never them, right? It's the idea that you paint onto these people. And I'm like, I'm doing all these things. I'm trying to give and I'm being nothing. And I still feel like no one's there for me. And she's like, so there's someone who can be really selfish. And there's someone who's really, really giving health is somewhere in the middle. If you're on either side of the spectrum, you are not living in health. And one thing that she used for me specifically, because once I get stick my mind to something, I'm like, oh, I'm going to achieve that. She's (laughs) she's like, you need. Yeah. Right. It's like and then and but and so something that she brought to my attention was like, stop rushing into health. Just because you cognitively understand this information doesn't mean you're going to apply it right away. It's been seven years now that I've been in therapy lying. Sorry, four four to five years now that I've been in therapy and I'm barely applying some of the things that I cognitively understood four years ago. Mm. And the thing that triggered me was I didn't, I, I remember feeling like I just wanted to escape. And that's when the ideologies of, of, of suicidal thoughts had came in. And I was like, I don't like, this is not, I, I love life. Why do I want to leave so bad? It's not that I want to end my life. I just want a completely different one. I would love to, right? I wish my parents weren't my parents. I wish no one knew who I was. I wish I could start and feel the way, I wish I could start to live life the way that I feel it, the way that I feel in my heart. But every time I do, people try and push me back to all of these thoughts, right? So I started going to therapy and I was able to start to unravel them. I was able to finally give some language to these big thoughts and feelings that had been passed down to me for generations that I realized wasn't even my burden to bear because it it came from my parents. And you know what? It wasn't their burden to bear either. It 
I was in survival mode and I finally was at a moment in my life where there was stillness and I didn't have to survive anymore. And then all the traumas, all the pain, all the things that I had shoved down in the process of surviving came surfacing up. And I was like, oh, this is an opportunity. You know how they say, God's testing me. God's test. The universe is testing me. Yeah, right. It recently came to like, the universe is consciousness. Consciousness, if you're connected to source, is a healthy space to be in. So the universe isn't testing me. The universe doesn't want me to fail. It's allowing me to show up as who I say I am. Well, who do I say I am? Mm. I'm a boundary setting, honest, confident, smart, self-sufficient, flawed, adaptable human. Mm. Okay. I can show up as that. So even face now with adversity, there's times where people that I love, you know, we, we hurt people sometimes on accident, just with, you know, throwing our own stuff out of the way. Someone gets hit by the debris of our lives. Right. Mm. I've learned to respond, to respond and not react. Listen, I did not come to this where I'm at now. It was not easy. I could definitely be a mean, I'm trying to not curse too. So something I'm trying to find different words. It's really hard because I really want to say that. It's all good. Be yourself. It's all good. <laughs> you know, I'm, 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 I'm just trying to show up as who I say I am. Cause I know what the other feels like because I've been there. Oh, I jealousy still comes up. It, it now it's just the way that I process it. I've learned not to say like being jealous is bad. No, being jealous is showing you that there's something there that you have intended to let's figure it out. Yeah. I'm not going to feel bad for who I am anymore and way the way I process things. It might show you like, huh, there's a different way to, pro- I may not process the way she processes and that's okay, but I can find my own version of whatever that is. Yeah. I love that. Just be your, your authentic self. Don't be someone you're not. I find <laughs> that, you know, I don't like the term fake it till you make it because it is instilling in people the idea that it's okay to be fake it's okay to not be who you really, really are. It's okay to be something that you're not for a long period of time. And obviously people have disagreed with me on, on this front, but I ultimately believe in my heart of hearts that if you show up and if you know 100% who you really are without a shadow of a doubt, and you've got to go, you got to go deep and you've got to unpack a lot of things. You've got to ask yourself those difficult questions. And that's important because that helps you find who you really, really are. And that also helps you to live in integrity and not lie to yourself, which is going to bottle down even more negative emotions that it's not even funny. And the more you bottle down inside, the worse it's going to get. People get stuck, they get depressed and they have suicidal tendencies. And you know what? I was exactly like you, Annie, exactly like you felt the exact same way. And I, I actually attempted to end my life. That's how dark I got. And if, if your story, Annie, and if my story too, if that can help someone else that is facing the same scenario that we faced, and yeah. in some cases we're still facing today, if they can understand it and if they can use some of the things that we have learned and we're sharing, then who are we to, to not share it? You know what I mean? Yes, 1,000%. I think because because the truth is none of this information is ours to begin with at all. 
like mm-hmm. anything that you have thought that any beautiful idea you've came up with, it doesn't belong to you. Any beautiful idea that I've come up with or thought that I've had, it's not mine. It's ours. It's this is how we grow. Having the impetus to change your mind. If you thought something two weeks ago and you have two more weeks of information, you're allowed to go to someone and be like, actually, I like your idea better. <laughs> and that be okay. Yep. Mm. the freedom that we get to have there. Right. Mm. And, and the grace that we, that we're able to give ourselves so that I can sit here and have grace with you. Mm. You need to be kind to yourself. Stop beating yourself up all the time. (laughs) Truthfully. Yeah. What, what do you, Annie, love the most about yourself and your story? I love the joy that I've been able to find and create throughout these ups and downs. I love how I'm able to see the win or the lesson in every loss. I know that's not easy to do and it's something that I've definitely built up a tolerance for, but I'm so grateful that that's in my my repertoire, it's in my arsenal now that when I need it, I'm like, okay, there's a loss here. Did you learn a lesson, Annie? Yes, I learned a lesson. All right, well, then it's not a loss. I think that's a win. We can do, we can do something different next time. Mm. What has been your most vulnerable moment in your life, Annie? The most vulnerable moment in my life. Ooh, I'm to get emotional. Um... My mending the relationship with my parents um, this last year. I feel like a large part of now my monetary success and being able to embrace that came from finally being able to embrace the humans that these people were before I put the label of my parents on them and moving through that. Mm-hmm. rekindling with my dad who I'd never had a relationship with without with throughout my whole life until maybe this year. Wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I know it's never easy to share these things, <laughs> but thank <laughs> you so much for being vulnerable with me. Um, I want to sort of steer the conversation in something that's a little bit more upbeat and a little bit more happy now. <laughs> I know you're a very positive person. I feel like we're being very, very deep and personal here. I like it here. I like it in the deep. I do too. <laughs> but sometimes we've got to steer away from the deep and go to a little bit more of a happy place, um, yeah, yeah, totally. which is fine too, you know. Uh, but speaking about things that make you happy currently, Annie, what do you do in, in your any given day that sort of brings a smile to your, your dial? Every day, I like to turn on my music first thing in the morning and do a little dance. And I like to say affirmations in my mirror. <laughs> Love it. What sort of things do you say to yourself? Oh my gosh. I'm like, you are beautiful. You are confident. You are smart. You are kind. You are perfect. Even while in progress, you got a big butt. You better go, girl. (laughs) I love all that stuff. (laughs) That's amazing. 
I do. Yeah. Uh, well, I can't dance to save my life. So I don't, I don't get up in the morning and dance. So I, um, I feel like I'm, I'm too stiff. Everybody can dance. I, yeah, I bet. Look, see, even that, whatever that was, that was a dance. I think well, that was, that was a shocking dance to be honest with you. Like, let's just say this too. I dated two Latinas and both of them tried to teach me to dance and they both failed. <laughs> and, and even their, their mothers and their aunties, they all tried and they couldn't like, I feel like I'm beyond the realm of helping learn how to dance, to be honest. <laughs> hold, on, hold on, hold on. Do you like to dance? Mm, yeah. Yes and no. I mean, in yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Okay. All right. I like to dance. Yeah. All right. Then you know what? You can dance. That's it. As long as you're having fun in doing it, you're probably great at it. Huh. People want you to dance. It's just like life, right? Like everybody's like, unless you do it like me, you're not good. No, you're good the way you do it. And I, one day when I see you in Australia, we're going dancing. That's it. All right. I'll take you up on that. Or if, if I go to LA, you're going to have to teach me how to dance. Maybe you might be able to succeed where others have failed. Because <laughs> we'll we I'm curious and not judgmental. You're welcome. No, I no. like that side of things. <laughs> well, I'm really looking forward to that, actually. Um, now, I've got a couple more questions for you, Annie, and I do have to be respectful of your time, obviously. Uh, apparently, we've got six minutes left on the Zoom, but if you do have more time, then maybe we can reconnect for the last couple of questions, but yeah. you are, you are an actress. You are very charismatic. You're very passionate. You do a lot of activism for, uh, I believe is the, uh, Latin American culture and, and all those sort of things. But I wanted to sort of ask you, um, how did you officially, what was the, the first ever role that you got in, in, uh, Hollywood? If I can ask that question. Uh, the first ever role I got, I was nine years old and I was on the show called without a trace. It was also my first audition ever. I booked it. I know. Right. Talk about destined. Confident. Yeah. Probably confidence too. I walked in there like, what do you mean? Like here. I, and it was without a trace. And I was a little girl who got her ear cut off from the coyotes because we were immigrating here from Guatemala. And it was, yeah, it was horrible, but that's what, yeah, that's what I did. Wow. And then your, your next role was, um, I, what was your next role? Let, let me ask you that. I'm okay. Next role after, okay. Yeah. Let's let me give it to you. Next role. After that, I booked a, um, show special kind of thing. I was about 10 years old. It was called the Jamex kids. We had a special on the W kids, WB like Saturday mornings here. And we sang, we danced and we did sketch comedy. Right. Okay. And how did yeah. you, how did you book the role of gentrified? Gentrified. Okay. I originally went out for Anna, the artist role. And when I read it, I was like, I love this. I feel like I can do this. But the second I was reading it, I was like, oh, this isn't resonating. Something isn't, isn't hitting here. Like, yes, I'm an actress. And obviously, you know, we can work chameleons, but something wasn't hitting me correctly. Got a call back for that role, went in and even the casting directors and, and uh, the creators of the show, whom I knew from projects prior were like, something's not working. I don't know. It's just not hitting. I was like, yeah, I don't know. I'm sorry, guys. I love this show. If there's anything right. They were like, take this, the role of Lydia that I ended up booking mm. at the callbacks, take this, do a cold read, come back. Let's see what we got. Right. 
come out, I come back in. And this character is a completely different archetype. She's a professor at ELAC, an adjunct professor. She graduated from Stanford. She's a little more like this. She's not like Annie, right? I'm a little more like, Wah! and she's a little like, like, no, with no funny business, get down to the, you know, brass tacks, blah, 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 right? And I go out and I read and I come back in and immediately I was like, oh, I'm going to, this is, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And had a series of auditions and I just knew who this person was throughout all of her complexities and I wanted to do her justice. And so that was how Hentified came together. Hentified. So I'm, I'm getting gentified wrong. <laughs> I got to say hey, it correctly. Yeah. You're closer than most people. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for that. Hentified, your, your character Lydia in, in Hentified. Yeah. Uh, I still feel like I'm saying it wrong. <laughs> no, you're doing it. Um, <laughs> What is, what is your, your process like when it comes down to uh, forming, forming a character when you get a role? Um, first, I read through everything. I do my due diligence. I read it two times. And then I try and find, just because us as humans, we're never really saying what we mean. It's always, there's, you know, subtext within the context of what we're saying. And so I really try to, um, I really try and explore who this human would be again, right? Tell me where you grew up. Tell me who you grew up around. Tell me the type of foods you ate. So I try and create this beautiful, this this complex backstory to create, to help create these complex characters mm. and always try and bring a little piece of myself because anything human is not foreign to us. We're just recreating human stories, you know? Mm. Absolutely. How did your, your role in Flaming Hot come about with Eva Longoria? Oh my gosh, that was a whirlwind. Um, when I read the script and I read the story and did my own research on Richard Montañez and Judy Montañez. Um, Richard, who's the creator of Flamin' Hot, and his wife, Judy, whom I ended up playing on this on the film. I was like, <laughs> confidence, right? <laughs> my brain was like, I'm the only one that can do this. <laughs> Immediately, I was like, I have to play this role. There's no, like, I can do this. I can do this. It may, it may not be perfect, but what is perfect? I can do this. I know who this woman is. I know. And it taught me so much. I feel like every role I play, I get to play. It always teaches me a little bit more of who I am or who I'm aspiring to be. Yeah. Which is always so beautiful, especially to play someone who is a real life person, you know, Lydia's versions of people. I know that's what the creators intended on, but Judy is an actual woman who we get to see her story that, you know, some that to her may feel like, I don't want to share that. That's an ugly part of my past, but it's so necessary because we need to see evolution so that we can then become and evolve. Yeah, absolutely. Oh what, yeah. These, these beautiful women. So what, grateful. What have you learned from I guess being in, in your, your industry and the kind of roles that you've had, what have you learned about the difference between just a good actor versus a great actor, someone that is award-winning, that sort of thing? What have you learned so far? I feel like I'm always learning. I'm going to forever be a student. I don't know that I could even dis distinguish that really in truth, because I think there's so much nuance and complexities that come with it. Right. Mm. Um, but from what I've seen from, from my peers and colleagues and people that I aspire to be like is they bring their humanity to every role. 
they bring authenticity to every role. They bring pieces of themselves to every role. You hear great actors and actresses speak and it's always their philosophy behind their life that backs up their work and mm-hmm. how it how it's able to transcend from the screen to our hearts. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's why I'm trying to come up with my own philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> the Annie philosophy. <laughs> I like it. It's, it's authentic. It's real. It's confident. It's charismatic. It's all the bits <laughs> that you need. Yeah. So have you had uh, any challenging days on set at all? That one that like, this is not happening for me. I just need to take a break. Have you had any of those days? I think I've had moments, but again, I'm, I'm really strong willed. You don't go through this much loss and pain throughout your life and still stand here with the smile, right? What do they say? Smooth waters don't make a skilled sailor. So I've definitely had those. And luckily I've had a really strong support. Something that I pray for manifest and speak into the existence always is everyone around me wants to help me get to the next space that I'm trying to occupy. Everyone around me is only propelling my highest good. Everyone around me. So even when I have those moments, I always remind myself that I am abundantly protected by the universe. So there's always someone or something that comes in that gives me that extra little nudge that I didn't realize I needed. And I'm like, okay, I'm here. I'm dropped in. You're setting, me up, you're setting me up for this. Like uh, you mentioned it earlier, but you mentioned it again, the idea of manifesting. And I want to ask you, what are you currently asking God or the universe currently that is yet to come to pass? I'm asking, I'm always hesitant on how to phrase this because I do feel like a lot of my life has been, um, not like I'm this, you know, figure, this deity, not in that way, because I think we're all placed. I'm look, I'm no more special than anyone on this planet at all. This is just my, my special mission, right? We all have our own special missions. Mm -hmm. And I think my special mission is to help people look into themselves a little deeper. I'm not giving anyone any more information that they haven't already had. I think I'm just I, the way that I'm able to convey it, the language that I use, it's it's a lot more palpable for, for everyone to understand versus when you hear it from someone who is, you know, a literary scholar or has a PhD, it feels a very intimidating to want to do the work into self. So I'm always asking God, the universe source, to use me and give me these lessons so that I can help share them with the world. Mm. Cause I, I, that's, I feel like that's a large part of my purpose. Let me give you a little more insight into who you are. I'm just your mirror. So whatever you see in me in this present moment, whether it's, I love her. She's so funny. She's so charismatic. She's so de- awesome. Or uh, she's annoying. She talks a lot and she has a big head and she's a little too confident for her own britches. Right. Mm-hmm. That's just a reflection of you, baby. And I am happy to be that for you. So as long as I can be an honest reflection for you, for myself, for everyone, I can be open. Use me, God, however you need to. Use me, source, however you need to. Use me, universe, however you need to. And I will always make sure to have my main moral compass of love and joy. Yeah, I have a similar prayer that I pray every single night and even in the morning too, actually, because I want that same, I believe that God has given me a purpose already to help others realize they are worth something in society. So uh, I need him to to guide me in this ever-evolving and crazy world and life that we are in. Uh, yeah. And 
you know, I, I really believe that he's got me here for a, for a plan and whatever that is, I'm, I'm excited to see what it is. You know, same, same for you. I really believe yeah. that he's taking you in some amazing, amazing places right now for you to shine your light with the world, which the world needs. So how amazing is that? Right. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. I got some beautiful news last week and I just sat there and cried in gratitude because I know I don't deserve anything, you know, but I will work my hardest to keep being here. I will work with love and joy. I will always remain teachable. You know, I will, I will, I'm like I said, a forever student. I'm, and that's why I'm not, I know I have a purpose and I know it constantly shifts and it mutates and it grows and it gets smaller and the ebb and flow of life. That's why I'm like, I'm, I'm not married to an idea of what I need to be today, right now on your podcast, I'm an actress, I'm an actress and a mental health advocate in five years. I might just be a producer. Shoot. Who knows? I may be a writer. I may not, I may be a teacher of literature. I don't know, but I am open. Mm, I love that. Annie, i got two final questions for you, if you don't mind. This one's more of a fun question. Uh, what would you say has been the weirdest food combination you've ever tried? Listen, <laughs> all right, I'm a little pothead. So sometimes late at night, I'm like, what's this? <laughs> weirdest food combination? I don't know. Okay. Maybe this isn't weird. Okay. No, it's not weird. I, or maybe it is weird. I don't know. Go okay. Okay. Just say it. I just like food. So like I'll mix everything. Like I made <laughs> waffles, sweet waffles with like sausage, avocado and cheese the other day. Sometimes I'll eat cereal, but no milk in there. Just peanut butter. Yes. Yeah. I do the same thing. <laughs> okay. See, they're not weird. See, no, right? I no, we're not weird at all. Yeah. No, it's fun. <laughs> No, I, um, I actually have ice cream with peanut butter on it. And then I get like macadamia nuts and walnuts. And then I just, all, the, all the things. And I used to put Milo on it. I don't know if you know what Milo is. It's like this. Don't. You don't, oh man. When you come to Australia, you gotta, you gotta experience Milo. It's good stuff, but it basically, it's kind of like this malt kind of flavor to it. Chocolate malt flavor. Uh, so you okay. put it all over the ice cream and it mix it all together and it tastes as Beautiful. But you know what I miss the most? Uh, what? Empanadas. Um, but there were the sweet kind of empanadas. They had like cheese inside them and you cover the, the top in sugar. Oh, heaven on earth. <laughs> yeah. Problem. Yeah. So good. Problem. Not, not good for my waistline, but anyway. <laughs> but um, Annie, it's been an absolute joy and a pleasure speaking to you today. My final questions for you. You already know what's coming. So hopefully you've had time to prepare for this one, but it's a hypothetical question. So I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll just call it magic for the sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? I want it to say and show that I did my best, that I had fun, 
that more than anything, the people around me felt the love that I was trying to give them. That I was honest. And that I had major gratitude for everything that happened in my life. Mm. I love it. Where do you want people to find you, connect with you, Annie, and, and learn more about you? Hello, everybody. You can find me on the gram. That's mostly where I'm at. <laughs> and that's Annie, A-N-N-I-E-G-G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-Z. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make sure everyone knows where you are. But Annie, thank you so much for your time today, your story, your light, your enthusiasm for being here today and, and for just sharing space with me on, on this Storyblocks podcast. I really, really do appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're amazing. And I hope I get to see you one day soon out in the world. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcast. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the Storybox, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.